There's an old preacher, actually, uh, I first learned about him at Moody Bible Institute, but he's an old preacher, very famous preacher. His name's Vance Havner. Have you, Bob, did you ever hear of Vance Havner? Any of you ever heard of Vance Havner? you probably heard of Vance Havner, haven't you? Okay, so Vance Havner is just an old school preacher, but he said, you know what's wrong with the church? Here's what he said, what's wrong with the church? He said, what's wrong with the church? And he's, he's from Jugsville, North Carolina. He, he talk like that, but I won't talk like that. He said, what's wrong with the church is most churches start at 11 p.m. sharp and they end at 12 o'clock dull, is what he'd say. Just dull. Why are people so dull? He'd always ask that. He'd always use humor in the pulpit because he believed we as Christians are the ones that should be happy. We have the most to be happy about. He once was quoted as saying, we are suffering today from a species of Christianity as dry as dust. As cold as ice, as pale as a corpse, and as dead as King Tut. We are suffering not from a lack of correct heads, but of consumed hearts. By, I think he's right. If I could put it in our, our jargon, I would say in our context, the problem with the church today, we have forgotten how to laugh. We've forgotten how to laugh. We claim we believe the gospel. And here's how William Tyndale defines the gospel. The Greek word evangelion means good, merry, glad, and joyful news. That makes a man's heart glad, it makes him sing, it makes him dance, and it makes him leap for joy. And yet, many of us, like Vance Havner said, are just dull. You could slap us on the back and dust will fly off. And dancing and leaping is definitely out of the question. No, I'm not going to dance and leap. Serious. I'm Christian. I'm in church. I'm serious. I mention that because today we come to a story that is all about laughter. And the people who are laughing are old. Old people aren't supposed to be happy, are they? I mean, these people are... They are centurion people. That means they're around 100 years old. They're not supposed to laugh, are they? It's the last time you saw your old grandpa laugh. I mean, really belly laugh. And yet, uh, in our story, these 100-year-old people are falling down, stumbling, overcome with hilarity because, quite frankly, they just can't help it. They just can't help it. They met God. So, I would invite you to follow along with me in our story. And the title of this message is Laughter, the Language of Faith. Starting in verse 15 of chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed, and he said to himself, and I'm going to use his words, shall a child <laughs> be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's ninety years old, bear a child. 
And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, no, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Laughter. That's what Isaac means. Sad that we just, yeah, it's just Isaac. No, his name means Laughter. As I was reading this, I wish I would have named my boy Laughter. Wouldn't it be hilarious? I laugh at him all the time. I will establish my covenant with him, with him, with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring. So the rest of the 17, this is kind of a little bit more back and forth with Ishmael. He says, nope, Isaac's the guy. And then so Abraham and Ishmael become circumcised. We come to chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So it's hot. They're out in the arid Palestine weather. It's probably 90 degrees, and he's trying to hide by a tent. Get some shade. He lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him, meaning they were coming up. Three men. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed to the earth. They must have probably been glowing or something. He knew that these are seriously important men. So he bowed to them, and he said, Oh, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So he said, Do, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick! Three seeds of fine flour, knead it, and make some, some of your really good cakes. You know, those honey-tasting cakes. Oh. And Abraham ran to the herd, and he took a calf, tender and good, some veal chops, tender meat, succulent. I like that word, succulent meat. And gave to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took some curds, blue cheese dressing, milk, and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, you can smell it, the hot bread, right before the three guys. And they ate. They said, Where, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased with Sarah, meaning she can't give birth. It's crazy. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, <laughs> after I'm worn out, <laughs> my Lord is old. Shall, shall I have this pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why uh, did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is there Tell me, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Most important question in all of Genesis. You have to answer that question. That's where faith starts. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. <laughs> I, I, 
I didn't laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, 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 you did laugh. I, I caught you. You laughed. So that's the story. you got to love this story. Abraham meets three mysterious men who come to his tent where he serves them veal dinner. They tell him he's going to have a son at the age of 100. So he laughs. They name his son Laughter. Then his wife laughs. And the angel knows she's laughed. There's laughter all around this place. This is hilarious. And you can smell the warm bread. Everything's good here in the story. He who says God does not have a sense of humor does not know God. He made you, didn't he? <laughs> Brad, he made you. <laughs> As Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to weep, and yes, there is a time to laugh. And so we're going to talk about laughter, but before we do get into this story, we need to clarify some things about laughter a little bit. Not all laughter is the same. Some laughter is perfectly appropriate, and some is just plain wrong. Some is uncalled for, and some just can't be helped. Some is from a wicked heart, and some laughter, like Abraham and Sarah's, is the laughter of faith. It's the laughter of faith. I have a sister, many of you know I have a sister who's mentally challenged. She was born with a rare genetic disease called Rett syndrome. At the age of about one and a half, her basically what happened, she regressed, so she has the mind of about a three-month-old child. Even to this day, she still does. She's older than me, she's 60 years old, but still about the mind of a three-month-old baby. You can say your name and she won't respond. You can talk to her, she won't really respond. You can yell at her, she won't respond. When she was younger, my dad discovered, however, there is a song. If you sing it to her, she responds. She, she looks up and she kind of starts to smile. And so I would sing that song and sure enough, you know, normally she'll be doing this and you sing that song, she stops and she goes like that. And the song is the Mary Poppins song, I Love to Laugh. So I can go to my sister, I'll go, I, and she kind of gets nervous. I love to laugh, <laughs> loud and long and clear. And I'm telling you, she stops, you know, like, say, Laura, some people laugh with their noses. Some people laugh with their teeth, goodness sake, hissing and fissing like snakes. And she kind of shake a little. It's really kind of cool, actually. My favorite is... Some laugh too fast. <laughs> Some only blast. That's my favorite part when Dick Van Dyke blasts. Bah! I like that one. Anyhow, that song's about laughter, and you can laugh in many different ways, and it's true. There's some laughter for the right reasons and some for the wrong reasons. I've been thinking a lot about laughter. I like to laugh, and so I've designed a laughing graph. I've used a laughing algorithm. This is deep metrics and science here. And so I have five types of laughter. If you look up on the chart to the far left, I'm going to kind of call, it's laughter for the wrong reasons to some degree. And on the right, it's laughter for more frivolous reasons. If you go way to the far left, the first one, that's evil laughter. Evil laughter is the raunchy comedy club, rotten movie laughter where people laugh because they like wickedness. They delight in it. Most kind of laughter on this side is somebody you can't believe somebody said that sick thing or that kind of obnoxious thing and you just kind of 
you want to be kind of cool. You want to, it's adult humor. You know, adult humor. It's just adult humor. Well, adult humor is... You're laughing at things Jesus died for. Doesn't that bother you? And then you go in a little bit, I call this cynical laughter. This is the kind of laughter you'll see at late night talk shows. Saturday Night Live now. It's the laughter at other people because you think you're better than them and they're idiots. It's arrogant laughter. I'm cool, I'm better than you, I'm right, you're not, I'm going to make fun of you, you're an idiot. <laughs> people that have cynical laugh kind of go, <laughs> that's not good. Then you go to the right, we're going to skip the middle and go to the right. This is kind of what I call, this is forced laughter. It's the laughter you're supposed to laugh at, you know, like laugh track laughter. It's really not funny, but you laugh. I don't know why you laugh. Clowns, whoever said clowns are funny? Why are clowns funny? They're just not funny. Ever since it finally brought it to light of what they really are. They're crazed killers, clowns are. There's, some of you will get offended at this. When I was a kid, we'd watch the Carol Burnett show, and every time Carol Burnett came on, I laughed because I thought you're supposed to laugh. I played it for my kids. I said, you'll love Carol Burnett. And I put it on, and they're like, Dad, is she supposed to be funny? She's really not that funny. And I'm like, you're kind of right. You know? I mean, it's weird, but we laugh because Dad laughed, so I had to laugh. If Dad laughs, everybody's supposed to laugh enough. But then there's what I just call spontaneous laughter. It's just something's just funny. You can't not laugh. Like when my son wears my daughter's pants without knowing it. It's just funny. Like, Joe, you're going to rip those pants. It's bad. Or when Jared Doty walks into the room, how do you not laugh? I, seriously. I remember one time, one time I was, you, you're not going to like me for this, but this is, it was one of the weirdest days. A, a lady was dying in her, in her house. She's on hospice. She's lying on the bed in her living room, and all her family's gathered together because she only had a couple more days, and they called me in to pray for her. And after I prayed, I said, let's sing some songs. So we sang Amazing Grace, you know, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And I, after we're done, I said, hey, I know how to sing Amazing Grace to Gilligan's Island theme song. I was just kidding around. And the lady's eyes looked like that. And they said, you know, my mom loves Gilligan's Island. Can you sing that? All right. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. And I'm telling you, this lady was laughing. And everybody in the I'm like, this is weird. Are we supposed to be doing this? They wanted me to sing that at the funeral. It was weird. The whole thing was weird. It's crazy kind of laughter. But what we find in Genesis, those are all kind of different kind of laughters, but what we find in Genesis is the kind of laughter that I believe is right, it's, it's walking the line of insanity. It's not yet to the far left, which is the bad kind of laughter, and it's not just true hilarity. It's, um, it's called faith. And did you know real faith looks crazy? You, be, you believe a man rose from the dead. That's crazy. And so this kind of laughter that Abraham and Sarah exhibited, it sort of smacks right in the middle. Some people say this is, it's a, it, it, one writer said this is incredulity. They, they think God's crazy. But wait a second, you've got to be very careful with this. For two reasons. 
Number one, on a very serious note, God does not lie. So if he says something, he's not lying. So don't call him crazy. And I think a lot of us read the word of God or we hear something, we know God is impressing our heart, we say, that's crazy. If God says it, it's true, right? But the second thing that we've got to be very careful about saying this is the laughter of incredulity. Incredulity means there's doubt in it. I doubt. I just don't believe it. Is because in Romans, what we're going to see is it says, Abraham and Sarah believed God that he could raise the dead. They believed him. So what we have here, though God's promise seems impossible, it's still God's promise, and they need to take it deadly serious. So when both of these things collide and, and clash, you realize God's telling the truth. <laughs> no way! <laughs> this is incredible. That's the kind of laughter they're laughing. I call this laughter wonder. This is wonder. This is incredible. You have got to be kidding me. And I think wonder is what we lost in the church. Wonder skates the razor's edge between disbelief and assuming miracles. It's right in the middle. Abraham and Sarah both were laughing because wonder overwhelmed them. As Psalm 126 says, our mouths were filled with laughter. Because the, in Psalm 126, they're brought back to Jerusalem. They never thought they would be. and they, Our mouths are, I can't believe, this is incredible. So here's how wonder works. We're going to look a little bit at how wonder works. I want you to stay in Genesis 17 and 18, but also go to Romans chapter 4. We're going to learn about how wonder works. And the reason we're going to learn about how wonder works is because we need to laugh. We need to learn how to laugh. And I'm afraid a lack of laughter is often an indication of a lack of faith. And when you lose faith, you begin to turn into a dreadfully serious person. And nobody likes a dreadfully serious person. And dreadfully serious people think they're really compelling for Christ. You're really not. Hey, come to Jesus, believe the gospel, and you can be as happy as I am too. You better go to church and button that shirt. You'll love Jesus. <laughs> Boy, that's compelling. All right. Not many people are laughing, so Chris, continue. All right, Paul takes us here in Romans 4, into the mind of Abraham and Sarah. Right before laughter overcame, and he explains what's going on. I'm going to read 17 to 21, and then we're going to work through it. Verse 17 is talking about, begins in 16, where it says, those who share the faith of Abraham, that he's the father of us all. Here's how it works. As it is written, verse 17. I have made you the father of nations. That means God said that to him. I have made you the father of nations. That's called Scripture called prophetic scripture. It's revelation. God spoke and told Abraham he's going to be the father of many nations. That's why it should be in quotes in your Bible right now. Then it says, in the presence of God, the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We're going to look at that in a second. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, 
since he was about 100 years old, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, because she's about 90 years old, no, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. All right, so here's what's happening. First of all, wonder begins, wonder begins with recognizing the horrible reality as it is. That's where it has to start. Abraham sees himself as it says in verse 19, he considered his own body. He's looking at himself in the mirror going, I'm really old. <laughs> I'm really old. He wants me to have a kid? What are you, crazy? He recognized the horrible reality as it is, and he sees his situation rightly. And he looks at it in light of the probability of his promise. I can't do this. And he comes to the end of himself when he says at the end of verse 19, or middle of verse 19, he's as good as dead. That's where wonder begins when you realize you're as good as dead. How good is death? There's not an ounce of good in it. I'm as good as dead. It's an honest evaluation. Life as it stands for him is bad, like really bad. Abraham knows, and he know, and he's he's not depressed. He's not he's not in pity party. He's just is honest. I have nothing to offer, and my body's dust. I've got nothing. I'm as good as dead. This is where wonder begins. And then what happens? God speaks. And through his very word, and he speaks with crystal clear promises, he brings life to dead bones. Heaven starts coming to earth through God's words. That's how God touches us is through his words. That's where the power is. Look at his promises described in verse 17. Look at verse 17. So it says, as it is written, these are his words, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that don't exist. He calls into existence the things that don't exist. Stop on that for a second. Here's how the NIV says it. Calls things that are not as though they were. The NLT says, who creates things out of nothing. It is God's very words that create reality. That's how it's always been. Out of nothing, he creates something. Ex nihilo. That's how it always worked. Second Peter chapter 3 says, Scoffers of God deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed. So he tossed stars into the sky by his word. He's kind of powerful, his word. So, Here's what I would say from my perspective and understanding. It seems that the prerequisite for God's creative power always begins with something that is not. Another word we use for that is something has to be as good as dead for God to act. In order for Jesus, what have to happen for Jesus to be resurrected? He had to die. Resurrection comes after death. And so here's, 
And, and honestly, it's hard to admit that we're kind of worthless. It's hard to admit that. Our flesh wants us to fight, to claw, to argue that I have what it takes to be great. I have more than what it takes to be great than other people. If I just believe in myself that I'm somebody, and I'm going to be somebody, and I'm better than all you bodies, I'm somebody. But you're not. That's the fact. At least I know I'm not. And this is the good news. The good news is, is that you are as good as dead. The good news is, is that you are not a superhero and that you don't impress God. The good news is you're dead. And in your deadness, God can finally speak. Listen to Ezekiel. Son of man, can those bones live? Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That's the point. Only he can raise the dead. So like rain, the word of God falls and his promises saturate. And they start to soak in the mind of the dead man. And in the way you can tell the dead man is coming to life, here's how you can tell. Is he begins to wonder. Watch how Abraham wonders back in Genesis 17. Genesis 17. He uses one word, one phrase. And we find it in verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face, so God, in verse 16, speaks. So the word speaks. So verse 16 is where he calls into existence that which does not exist. So he says, I'm going to bless her, and I'll give you her son. I'll bless her, and she'll become a mother of nations, kings of people. That doesn't exist. It will never exist. She's dead. And then God speaks it. Abraham starts thinking about it and realizing God's not a liar. So he fell on his face, and he laughed. And here's what he said. Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? It's the, word, it's the phrase, shall a Shall a is a, it's a statement of wonderment. Shall an old man, wait a minute, shall I, shall my wife, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what shall a is? It's the expression of a heart that does not think they deserve or should expect anything from God. Especially his amazing promises. Because if I look at my circumstances, if I look at me, my failure, and just the physical impossibility that I'm surrounded in, really? Shall a bartender become a pastor? Shall a failure at so many things someday walk the streets of gold? Shall an unemployed or a person buried in debt be able to pay his bill? Shall a single woman ever be happy? Shall a sinner ever be forgiven? 
What is your shall a? What is yours? Because here's what you need to do. You need to write it down, and then you need to ask God to show you a promise that addresses it and that will raise those dead bones to life. You want to you read an incredible chapter of Scripture? Psalm 34. Boy, if that is not a chalet chapter, I don't know what it is. Read it and you'll understand. The reason I believe we don't laugh is because when it comes to God's promises, we think it's our job to achieve His promises on our own, through our hard work, or through others' hard work. We think our ability to procure the promises of God are possible, but they aren't. They're impossible. They're impossible. You cannot procure God's promises. You can't earn them. You can't work for them. Religion ultimately is an exercise in futility. But yet people still try to climb the stairway to heaven to prove to God I'm good enough. You're not. You're as good as dead. And so what happens is exhaustion usually is the result of a lack of faith. Anger, guilt, seriousness is a sign we've failed to take God at His word. We don't really believe Him. We really believe that bad things happen because I haven't done enough or I've made too many mistakes. Somehow we believe that since the promises aren't coming true fast enough, the way we dream them to come true, it's because I failed some, somewhere. And failure makes you feel guilty and guilt makes you hate life. It's horrible. But Abraham said, Shall a man who does not deserve the favor of God, I mean, he did some bad things. So a man who's dead, whose wife is dead, be able to have a son named Laughter? He promised. So then enters Laughter. When you come to the end of yourself, when you admit you cannot achieve in life what only God can do, then something heavenly happens to you. It's kind of reverse. It's so against our world. We think only things are great when I do something, and it's just the opposite. That's what makes Christianity so tough sometimes, because we're fighting us, our flesh. But when you really believe, it's like sunlight shining through a foggy winter after a cold winter. You begin to wonder, and then enters laughter. Growing up for me, personally, I was... I grew up in a very hard, traditional religion. I really believed if I ever sinned, I had to pay God off, if He'd really ever forgive me. So, um, and I could never be sure if He really accepted me. So if I swore, if I ever said a swear word, I'd just say ten Hail Marys for the next month every day. So my grandma would tell me. That's what Sister Joan of Arc would tell me. If I watched a rotten TV show, I had to feel rotten enough for as long as I watched that rotten TV show to prove I'm really sorry. If I laughed in church, I'd get swatted in the back of the head. Straighten up! So I'd have to kneel and do the sign of the cross. I always felt like I was a huge disappointment to God. I really did. And I couldn't relax because I knew I would sin again. I knew it. And then after, you know, then I started going to a Bible teaching church and then I picked up a book of theology. Believe it or not, it was a book of theology that caused me to laugh. A big one. People call them dry. I read this book of theology and it led me to Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 
to me, are the funniest verses in all of Scripture. They're hilarious. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And listen to what it says. It's exactly what happened to Abraham. It says, And you who were dead, this is verse 13, Colossians 2, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, means I'm, I'm not religiously good, I'm, I'm a failure. God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our sins, all of them. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. So I, I was sitting there thinking, when did He nail all of my trespasses to the cross? So all of my sins to the cross. When were they nailed? 2,000 years ago. So 2,000 years ago, he canceled all of my debt. Yes. Okay, that leads me to a next question. How many of my sins were yet committed at the time of his death? None. I wasn't alive yet. But yet he canceled all of my debt 2,000 years ago and I still haven't lived yet? Yes. And they're fully paid for? Yes. So the moment I believed... In Jesus was the moment I was fully forgiven because they were already paid for. I sat on my bed, I'm telling you, I sat on my bed and I began to wonder, wait a minute, you mean if I sin tomorrow that sin's already been paid for on the cross? Yes! If all my sins are already paid for before I existed, then that sin I'm going to sin tomorrow has already been forgiven because I accepted Christ. Wait, you mean I'm accepted even if I sin tomorrow? Yes, and I'm telling you, I began to laugh. It was really weird. I brought this big book and I go, Dad, did you know when you accept Christ, all of your sins are forgiven, even the ones they're going to commit 10 days from now? He said, yeah, I knew that. Why didn't you tell me? I tried. Laughter occurs because against all hope, against all hope is what Romans says, against all hope we hope. What does that mean? What is hope? We realize that there's nothing too hard for God to do. That's hope. So against all hope, Sarah was told by God, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I can give you a baby. Having a child when her body was a dry, withered plant. For me, it was my personal inability to be perfect. And my wildest dreams that I can spend eternity in heaven came true. That's the point. That's what he's saying to Sarah. Yeah, you're old, your body's dry, but it doesn't stop me. It doesn't stop me. Yeah, you've sinned. You've sinned a lot. You haven't gone to church in years. You might be 50, but if you come to Christ, you're still, you still can be my child. Really? Yes! Yeah, I know life's hard. I know life's hard. I know it's hard, but I'm your God. I'll take care of you. Really? Yes, he will? That's great! That should make me laugh. Do you know why Abraham laughed? Because he took God deadly serious. I want to read a story for you. And this is just a Frederick Buchner, Buchner, I don't know, how do you say his name, Ken? Buckner? Here's what he says. He writes about this story. He's, he's a very poetic pastor, but it's really funny. The place to start 
is with a woman laughing. She's an old woman, and after a lifetime in the desert, her face is cracked and rutted like a six-month drought. She hunches, and her shoulders around her ears and eyes start to shake. She squinties her eyes shut, and her laughter is all china teeth and wheeze and tears running down as she rocks back and forth in her kitchen chair. She's laughing because she's pushing 91 hard and has just been told she's going to have a baby. Even though it was an angel who told her, she can't control herself, and her husband can't control himself either. He keeps a straight face a few seconds longer than she does, but he ends up by cracking up too. Even the angel's not unaffected. He hides his mouth behind his golden scapular, but you can still see his eyes. They are lark spur blue and brimming with something of which the laughter of the old woman and her husband is at best only a rough translation. The old woman's name is Sarah, of course, and the old man's name is Abraham, and they are laughing at the idea of a baby being born in the geriatric ward and Medicare's picking up the tab. They're laughing because the angel not only seems to believe it, but seems to expect them to believe it too. They're laughing because with part of themselves, they do believe it. They're laughing because with another part of themselves, they know it would take a fool to believe it. They're laughing because laughing is better than crying and maybe not even all that different. They're laughing because if by some crazy chance, it should just happen to come true. And they would really have something to laugh about. They are laughing at God and they're laughing with God. When God made the promise, he stuck to it and Sarah was going to have a boy. Then they laughed. One account says that Abraham laughed until he fell on his face. It was Sarah's laughter, though, that got them all going. God said to her, Ah, but you did laugh. And of course, he was right. Maybe the most interesting part of it all is that far from getting angry at them for laughing, God told them that when the baby was born, he wanted them to name him Isaac, which in Hebrew means laughter. So you can say that God not only tolerated their laughter, but blessed it, and in a sense joined in it himself, which makes it a very special laughter indeed. God and man laughing together, sharing a glorious joke in which both of them are involved. Is it possible, I wonder, to say that it is only when you hear the gospel as a wild and marvelous joke that you finally hear it at all? Jesus says, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. I say, blessed is he who is not offended, that no man receives what he deserves, but vastly more. Blessed is he who gets the joke, who sees the miracle. Let's pray.